0: Well, good morning and happy new year to each of you. If we haven't met yet, I'm Rob and I'm so glad you're here. I love New Year's because I love new beginnings. I don't know about you, but I think most people like new beginnings. We celebrate new beginnings every year. Like, we throw parties and watch parades and make resolutions. And who doesn't love to make resolutions? Right? Because resolutions are all about recalibrating. You know? Like, ooh, I can't wait to. Oh, lose weight, become healthier, drop addictions, go on an adventure, or turn a dream into a reality. And I think what's behind those resolutions, have you ever thought about that? Like, what's behind those great resolutions? I think we want to display our improvements. Like, It feels good to tell people how we've improved or changed, we add value to our life or feel like we've added value to our life. Like, I get to say I'm a healthier person, or I get to say I'm a more attractive person than I was a year ago, or uh, I'm moving up in my career. I'm not addicted to anything anymore except the approval of other people, right? Because... I mean, think about it. 50 years ago, we didn't have too many TV shows. We had lots of movie stars and musicians that we could compare ourselves to and feel less attractive to or less um, better than. And then, you know, 25 years ago, we had to add all of the advertisements. We had to add all of the TV stars and plus the musicians and the movie stars. And so we got this bigger and bigger comparison. And then we had the Internet. We had social media. We had, I mean, specific apps, that are designed to have you compare yourself with other people. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, true. They're there. It's like there's something in us that's embedded to compare or compete or care about what other people think. How about you? Do you worry too much about what other people think? Or have this little fear or large fear in you that someone's not going to like you? Because I don't need a resolution about that, because I'll fail at it. I need a new beginning in not caring what other people think. And I think God offers us a new beginning in a new identity, one that he calls beloved by God. So we're reading from 1 John chapter 4, and this is all about our identity as beloved by God. But if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. And this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. And if anyone acknowledges that, God, that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love of That God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how God made his love complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made in perfect love. It's God's word, and it's good if we can hear what the Spirit is saying to us. So you and I, we're beloved by God, but do we believe it? I think some of us struggle to believe that we are beloved by God because we have so few examples of, Matthew, you just, gonna, you just come right up here for a second. Yep. We have so few examples of, he totally knew he was going to do this, We have so few examples of unlimited, unconditional, extravagant love. I mean, think about if you've struggled to experience or feel love from God, my guess is that to a certain extent, you may have struggled to experience or feel love from an earthly father. Now, sometimes it's because fathers were absent or unavailable. Sometimes it's because that father was distant, or quiet. Sometimes that father came across as strong and protective, but also angry or harsh. And some of us, we had wonderful fathers, yet we rarely were convinced that that father absolutely, unconditionally loved and cherished us. So I asked Matthew last week, Uh, what it was like being a new dad. And that's the look he had right there, right there. And I'm like, well, why do you love Benji? And that's what he did too. I don't know, I just do. And Benji has not done anything to earn that love. Matthew just looks at him and gives him that goofy grin. You can sit down, thank you. I I was like, who has a good, goofy grin that's just in love? (laughs) Matthew. Matthew's got one of those. Now, uh, occasionally we do this all-play question where the sounds of the symphony, you all make a fuller voice than the sound of the solo. And so what I thought about is, you know, No matter what our experience with our father is, or a father, I want us to think about what has helped or would have helped us to experience and know and feel that love from a father, or maybe your father. So if you are a father, then you know you do the best you can with what you have. So regardless of what you had, I want you to just give me some examples of ways that have helped or would have helped you to truly believe that you are beloved by a father or a father figure. Affection. Words. Yeah support. Time. Hugging. Ooh, approval. Accountability. Mm, Accountability. There has to be more. Mm. Always there. Encouragement accept me as I am. Apology. Respect. Ooh, discipline. m mm. sacrificing something protecting, protecting. <coughs> teacher unconditional love Hmm, someone who's willing to go first or show us how it's done. Godly example. Dedication. Patience. I think those are all very good ways. I think about sometimes when I thought about the question, because I thought I should be able to have some answers. That strong, but gentle hand on the back, in such, like sometimes on the shoulder, sometimes right in the smaller your back. Uh, I thought about looking into a, a hood of a car and having no idea what to do, and a dad saying, "Here, you know, this goes here, and this is how you do this." Uh, I've heard a friend say. My dad taught me how to treat a woman. Going first. My dad taught me that I don't have to be perfect because he apologized. Now, there are plenty of scriptures, truly, that talk about God being a mother. uh, But we so often identify God as a father. And just as we shared examples of ways that we have, would, have, would have or have experienced love from our own earthly fathers, I think God shows us in the scriptures ways that we can know that we're beloved by God, by who he is, and what he says, and what he does. And in this scripture in 1 John 4, we can hear that in his words. I mean, we can know we're beloved by God by who he is. God says or the, God's word says that God is love, not just God's character is love, or not just that His personality is love, but that God's essence is love. It can't be separated from who He is. God doesn't love us more when we do better, and He doesn't love us less when we do worse. He loves us all the time, unconditionally, and at an unchanging rate. That's just who he simply is, and he freely loves and shares his love abundantly. And we can know that because of who God is, but we can also know it because of what he says. God says that, uh, again, in 1 John, he calls us his children in 1 John 3. He says, See what great love the Father has lavished upon us, that we should be called children of God, and that's what we are. Dear friends, we are now that we are God's children— and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, and we shall see him as he is. See, God says over and over that we're his children, that he calls us his own. Uh, 1 John, or John 1 says that to all who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. So he adopts us into his family when we don't feel like we're born into that family. He claims us. He goes across oceans. He pays thousands of dollars for us. He waits in long lines. He writes out hundreds and hundreds of pages of adoption papers for us. He feeds bottles and changes diapers and wipes our nose, puts his hand on us. But these are all things that God says, and listen to what Zephaniah 3:17 says. He says, "The Lord, your God is living among us. He is a mighty savior. He'll take delight in you with gladness, and with His love he'll calm all our fears, and he'll rejoice over us in singing." Matthew told me that when he was holding his son and looking at him one day, he just started singing, burst into song. I do that with my kids and they give me a look now, but you know, Matthew is a better singer than me. So that's what God does for us. He sings in key for us and to us and about us. In Psalm 139, it says that God has precious thoughts about us. They're so great, they can't even be numbered. It would be like numbering the grains of sand on the sea. You can't even count them. And when we wake up, God is there with us. This is all things that he says about us. But we can know we're beloved by God by what God does. God doesn't just speak things, he has actions for us. And First John tells us that one of the greatest actions that demonstrate God's love for us is this. He sent his one and only son to be a sacrifice for us. He sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, this uh, January 6th is this day in the church calendar called Epiphany. It's when we celebrate that God appeared to us and showed his light. And when God appears to us, it's like asking, do we think that Jesus really walked this earth? And, And no reputable scholar denies that Jesus of Nazareth walked this earth. There's There's sources outside of the scriptures that talk about Jesus being alive. In fact, there's sources outside the scriptures that talk about Jesus dying under the Roman Empire. People don't seem to have a problem with Jesus being alive, and they don't seem to have a problem with him even dying. What they seem to have a problem with is saying that that death was substitutionary and sacrificial, and that his resurrection really happened. Because once we start going there then we have to get into this idea that God saw something in humanity that was not right, that we were separated from him. And that only something that God could do could make a way for us to be redeemed in him. We see this strength of Jesus in the way that he treated people. We see him being soft but also strong, being especially tender with his time and his words for those that were weak, or those that were poor, or those that were outcast. But we also see him challenging the powers of uh, the political powers and the religious powers, asking for justice, asking for uh, righteousness, asking for compassion. And demonstrating it through his personal relationships, through his relationship with his nation and to those that were outside his nation. Yet, his fullest demonstration of love and forgiveness and reconciliation was through the cross. C.S. Lewis said it like this that God paid us the most intolerable compliment of loving us in the deepest, most tragic, most inexorable sense. And Lewis also wrote about Jesus' sacrificial death in The line the Witch, in the Wardrobe by saying, When a willing victim who has committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead or a traitor's place, that the table would crack and death itself would start working backwards. This idea of death working backwards means that God is already undoing the power of sin and the rebellion that is in humanity to bring us into this life and relationship with Jesus. See, Jesus' goal was not simply to create a new way to live. His goal was not simply to show us a cool spiritual power that we could have. His goal was to reconcile us and make a way for us to be restored with the creator of the universe, the one who does love us, who has loved us, says that God is love. Our whole relationship is based in love. Even when the first humans rebelled against God, God pursued them. God asked questions like, where are you? Even though he knew the answer, he just wanted to know if they knew the answer. He was trying to woo them back at every time. Just because we rebelled didn't change God's heart to us. He's always, always loved us. And that's how he's shown us his love to give his son for us but he's also shown us his love to live in us and allow us to live in him that's what 1 John 4 continues with that no one's seen god but if we love one another then god's love lives in us it's he puts his spirit in us he empowers us to live out this love and to experience this love cuz again jesus wasn't just going to the cross to prove a point Jesus went to the cross to redeem us from sin, to bring us back into relationship with God. But then in his resurrection, it's he restores and transforms our own lives. Just like God rose, raised Jesus from the dead and his dead heart became a living heart, as we trust Christ, our dead, cold, selfish hearts become alive and soft and tender and allow us to love in ways that we didn't think possible. That's how much God loves us. Not only by who he is and what he says, by what he does. By giving his son, by living in us, and then finally by transforming us into this confident and fearless love. 1 John 4 says that we're God's beloved because his love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus, and there's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. This is who we are. So if we're afraid, it's often because there's something in the past that haunts us, or there's something in the present that's worrying us, or there's something in the future that feels threatening. Might be a combination of all three, but usually when someone says they're afraid, it's one of those three things. And perfect love drives that fear out. Because think about it, we don't have to be afraid of the future, because that day of judgment in Christ, as we believe in him, has already happened. In Christ, on the cross, he reconciled our sins. They are dead. They have no power over us. So, that thing that we dread for judgment in the future, if we're a believer, it's actually in the past. God isn't going to rejudge us because he would have to rejudge those sins because then he would have to rejudge Christ. And in this world, 1 John 4 says, We are like Jesus. But we also don't have to be afraid of the past because, God, again, God first loved us. His relationship to us has always been one of love, so we don't have to go back to this place of regret. God's wiped it out. He sees us through his eyes of Christ. And we don't have to be afraid of the present because God's perfect love drives out fear no matter what you're facing. And if you're feeling that threatening or that worrying looming, take this title, this identity, as God's beloved And let it soak into your soul. It will change your heart. It will change your mind. In a way that is even more fulfilling than watching a new dad with his beloved little baby. Because God doesn't keep us in this infant relationship state. God longs for us to know him like a lover, like a married partner, like a best friend. So we don't have to fear the present. God wants us to be surrounded by this idea of love and acceptance, not fear or torment. And Romans 8 says that there is no condemnation for us who is in Christ Jesus. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ that is in him? Shall trouble separate us? This is where you say, no, no. How about persecution? No. How about famine? No. How about nakedness? No. no. So in case you are worried, if for some reason you go out today, because it is warm, it's going to be a heat wave, and you decide to take off all your clothes, though you might be arrested, you will not be separated from the love of Christ, okay? I'll probably get an email. No, or danger doesn't separate us. The sword doesn't separate us. Death can't separate us. From the love that God has for us that is in Christ. Nothing, nothing can separate us except us. Do you take on this identity as God's beloved? Because He does love you so much. While we were enemies with God, Christ died for us. So how much more does he love us as his dear children? Would you just ask God's Spirit to show you if there's any way that you are rejecting or you are holding yourself back from fully believing and living as God's beloved. Let him speak to you. Here's word. holding you.